Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments and their meaning for our lives today. And I, I thought we would start today with a little quiz. All right? So I want you to turn to somebody around you and name in order the first seven commandments. All right? Now, here's what you can do, okay? You can take turns going back and forth if you would like to so that you name one, they name two, and all that, all right? So go. Take a couple of seconds. Don't look. Don't open up. It's not an open book test. I don't expect you to know the last three because we haven't done those yet, but see if you can do the first seven, all right? I see Bibles open. This is not an open book test here. It would be pretty easy if I could open my Bible, right? I see you out there. Yes, Marty. She's been teaching her son. That's cheating. Oh, my son. There you go. Well, if you can sing a song on Tunes.Kids, they're learning a song. And so if that's that's perfectly fine. That's not cheating. That's called studying. All right? That's what you were supposed to do in school, Marty, before tests. You were supposed to study, right? It's a novel idea. All right. Here, let's do it together. All right? Number one is? Exactly. No other gods, right? Number two is no idols, right? So no God, other gods, no idols. Number three is don't misuse the name of the Lord. Don't take his name in vain. Number four is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, no murdering, right? No, uh, no killing in the head, all right? No murdering. Uh, number seven, we did last week, no Adultery, all right? Now, today we're going to talk about number eight. And number eight, according to polls, is the commandment that believers in Christ, Christians, think they don't break at all. Out of the Ten Commandments, they ask, you know, do you break this commandment? Have you ever broken this commandment? There are 90% of believers in America say they don't break the commandment about stealing. Now, we'll talk about lying next week, all right? Bearing false witness, but that's applicable there, all right? Uh, How many of you have ever taken something that is not yours? Okay? Let me tell you what happened to me. I'd been pastoring for uh, about 10 days. 10 days, all right? Hadn't been very long, been pastoring about 10 days. I was in Ripley. We were still trying to move in, was picking up some stuff. And uh, as I was going out to Walmart in Ripley, uh, Susan and I were talking. She said, well, I need a couple of things. Just pick up a couple of things and then um, get the rest of the stuff. And so I went and did my shopping in Walmart, got through, checked out, went back to the church office, sat down, got ready to reach into my pocket to pull out a pen to use to write some notes down and pulled out women's deodorant that apparently had found its way into my pocket and had not been paid for at the local Walmart. Now, that was not for me. That was one of those things Susan was asking me to pick up. And so I did what any good pastor would do. I took it back to the local Walmart, handed it to the lady, and said, I need to pay for what I stole. All right? Now, here's the reason I did that. One reason is because that's what you're supposed to do. The second reason is I was new in a very small town, and I was sure the security cameras had bought had called local young new pastor steals women's deodorant all right i didn't want that to be the headline you know and so 
somebody asked me at first, well, how did it end up? How did you end up in your pocket? Well, there was a new video game out that week. And at the little kiosk in Walmart, I decided to play, and there wasn't a good place to put the deodorant, so I put it in my pocket. But that's a minor example, right? But there are major things that people steal. And when it says in Exodus chapter 20, you can open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 15, it's two words there in the original language that simply says, no stealing. Now, those are obvious things. You walk out of a store with something you did not pay for, that is stealing. You go over to a neighbor's house and you take something without their permission and keep it for your own, that is stealing, right? But there are subtle ways that we steal. Uh, I was reading this week about a cartoon that was on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Now, um, I know that for our generation, that's not a, a big deal, but that's where Norman Rockwell, you know Norman Rockwell, pictures you've seen, that's where he did a lot of his stuff. This isn't Norman Rockwell's, but this is a picture on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. And it's a woman at Thanksgiving buying her Thanksgiving turkey. Now, this is not how we buy turkey anymore, right? We go and we pick the butterball up and we put it in the cart and take it home. But used to, they would weigh it. Now, I want you to notice, where are their eyes? On the scale, right? Where are their hands? Where is the butcher's? His is on top, and he's doing what? He's making it try to weigh more. Where's the ladies? Underneath, trying to push it up, right? Now, what they're trying to do is to cheat one another out of a few ounces or out of a little money. When we start talking about stealing, it means more than just the most obvious things. Here's what somebody wrote about this picture. It said, both the butcher and the lady would probably resent being called thieves. The lovely lady would never steal a bank, I mean, steal a car, or a bank, but rob a bank or steal a car. The butcher would be indignant if you accused him of stealing, and if a customer gave him back a bad check, he would call the police. But neither of them saw anything wrong with a little deception that would make a few cents for one or save a few for another. So there are a lot of things in life that can be stolen. All right? You've already talked once to each other today. Um, talk again. I want you to tell people just around you some things in our lives that can be stolen or that we can steal. All right? Go. Then you're going to talk to me back, all right? All right, somebody tell me, what's something that you can steal or can have stolen? What was that, women? Is that what I heard? That was last week, all right? But yes, okay. What's that? Your identity. Stolen identity. Eli, you got one over there? Money. Good, all right. Scotty? What? Nintendo DS, that's a big-time thing. You steal that, all right? We had somebody in the first service who has family members in this service, so I won't mention Sherry's name, that hers was grapes at Kroger. And I said, that sounds like a confession, not something else, all right? What else? What can you, what can be stolen? Time, cars, supplies, Ideas, food, your heart. Oh, 
Everybody do that together. Oh, all right. But your heart. What about reputation? Steal somebody's reputation. All right. It can mean a lot of things. And we're going to talk today about what the ramifications of a simple thing means. Now, the word there is simply no, and then it's a word stealing, which is ganaf. And it means, when the original language, it means almost all of those things we talked about. Burglary, breaking in something to take something that's not yours. Robbery, doing it by violence or intimidation. Larceny, taking something without permission, not returning it. Hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, purse snatching. It also can cover things like embezzlement, which is in a company taking money that's not yours. It can mean extortion. It can mean racketeering. But it can mean things bigger than that. Taking things that it's kind of ambiguous about whether or not it's stealing. Public property example. People steal things from hospitals, from building sites, from churches. In fact, one hotel, none of you have ever taken anything from a hotel, so don't worry about it, I'm sure. One hotel reported that in a year's time, their first year of operation, they had to replace 38,000 spoons. Spoons. All right? 8,000 tiles, 355 coffee pots, and 100 Bibles. Apparently, they had not gotten to the no-stealing part of the Bible yet, right? So they had all of these things to replace. Citizens steal from the government. Don't pay the taxes. Don't report exactly what you've earned. The government steals from citizens, right? Huge bureaucracy, federal red tape. I saw a statistic this week, and this was actually from about 15 or 20 years ago, that reported on the billions of dollars spent to help eradicate poverty in America. And they did the figures that if they would have just given the poor in America, the money they spent trying to solve poverty, every poor family in America would have received $35,000. But we wasted it, right? And so that's, that's a part of the issue with things like governments or businesses. There's waste there. There's theft at work. Employees fill false time cards, call in sick when they just need a personal day. Help themselves to office supplies, make long-distance phone calls, pad their expense accounts. Sometimes stealing at work can be all the way to just not putting in a full day's work. Spending an exorbitant amount of time surfing the net or sending emails to friends or playing games on your computer. Whenever we give best, less than our best effort, it can be considered stealing. Here's a fascinating statistic. It's estimated that a theft of time by employees cost American businesses more than $200 billion a year. And that according to some estimates, one-third of what you pay for any product goes to theft surcharge for various kinds of stealing along the way. Now, sometimes employees steal from their employers, and sometimes employers steal from their employees. Hours that aren't compensated, reorganizing to improve profits, downsizing just to make the buck bigger. Large corporations steal from the general public. We're aware of places like Enron and Arthur Anderson and Adelphia and WorldCom and all of those that are cheating 
the public. Common business practice are even immoral. Price gouging, false advertising, defective or deceptive packaging. How many of you have ever bought the king-size thing of chips and it's this big and the chips start about here, right? Deceptive packaging, all right? So telling people what's there and then it's not being there. All of those are violations of the Eighth Commandment. There's the things with credit, charging exorbitant surcharges and interest fees. There's insurance fraud, plagiarism, identity theft. The Internet has opened up a whole new way to steal. Estimates are, and I want to ask for a show of hands, that 95% of all music downloaded in America is illegally downloaded. 95%. Christian teenagers were asked about that. 82% admitted to doing it recently. And 78 said, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. You can just get on the computer. I mean, it's there. It's free. Somebody put it up there. It can't be wrong. 95%. Movies are now being downloaded on the Internet before they even get to the box office. People say, well, but, wow, I mean, really. I mean, those record companies are making ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, it's not hurting them one bit. Right? Well, first of all, there's some of the big wigs are making a lot of money. I mean, everybody's making a lot of money. And secondly, it's not about them, it's about you. Right? And so there are those kind of issues. Now, let me just ask you 90% of Christians, believers, say that they don't ever break the Eighth Commandment. How many. Believers, do you think ever don't put in a full day's work? That don't ever illegally download something online? That don't ever take some stuff that's not really theirs? Right? The point of that is this. Just like every other commandment we've seen, this is one of those that seems real easy on the surface. Well, I don't go next door and take my neighbor's stuff. I haven't been in and put something in my pocket lately and taking it home without paying for it. Of course I don't steal. But what we have to understand is that it goes much deeper than that. So what does this commandment, this idea of not stealing, really teach us? Well, it teaches us two things. First of all, it teaches us the importance of private property, that what we have is important. Now, if you've got your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 20, I want you to turn it two chapters over to Exodus 22. Because right after the Ten Commandments, God begins to give them the fuller law, explanations of the law. And chapter 22 serves as the explanation for stealing. Now, we're not going to read all of this because it it can get tedious. But it just shows, we read a couple of verses here about the reality of the importance of the stuff that we have in God's eyes. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, he is guilty. So notice there, someone breaks into your house, according to the Bible, you can shoot them at night, but not during the day. All right? 
A thief must certainly make restitution, but if he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for his theft. If a stolen animal is found alive in his possession, he must pay it back double. If a man grazes his livestock in a field and lets them stray, they graze in another man's field, he must make restitution. If a fire breaks out and spreads, whoever starts it must make restitution. You get the idea, right? Here's what I want you to see about this. The Bible is pretty clear that personal private property is very important and that we ought to respect the bounds and the limits that are there. This is how we know it's important. If you take a guy's ox and you sell it or you kill it, how much do you have to pay it back? Just give him another ox? Just give him another sheep? What is it? It's more than double. It's four or five, right? If you kill it, you give it back four or five. It's not just what you took. You've got to make restitution above and beyond what you took. What they're saying is they want to deter it so much because their livelihoods were at stake. See, we read that and they go, well, they can have my ox. That doesn't have anything to do with me, right? But the point is their livelihood is at stake. If you took their ox, if you took their sheep, you are taking their business, their job. You're taking their way of financing, taking care of their family. So it was a big, big deal. Now, what the Eighth Commandment also realizes is, is that we are in a fallen world. You want to know how we know we live in a fallen world even when we don't just say it? Next time you go to the mall or you go to a grocery store, just stand in the parking lot for a minute. And watch almost every person that gets out of their car, shuts the door, and then does what? Locks it and then usually pushes that button several times to make sure it's locked and the alarm is armed, right? You want to hear it. We know that if we don't, we expect... I mean, there are times, and you may have never felt like this, but there are times that I get in the store and go, you know what, I didn't lock the car. Well, somebody's probably going to take something out there. You just kind of expect it. Uh, um, remember, there was a, a big rash of scares. Don't, if you've got a GPS, don't leave your GPS up, because if your GPS is up in your car and you're in Nashville, they're going to take it. You just expect it to happen. Uh, now the truth is we've become so accustomed to alarms that if we're in the parking lot and alarm's going off, you go, I wish somebody would shut their alarm off. They've made a mistake there. You know, they pushed the wrong button or something. And we, we don't think, well, somebody's stealing something out of the car. We know we live in a fallen world. And these commandments are given as guidelines to help protect us. Um, we know in America that we have property lines and those kind of things. I mean, we know we have private property. When I... I mow the yard, and I know exactly where my property line ends. Not because there are any stakes there. It's because that's exactly where my neighbor stopped mowing. Right? My neighbor is not going to come into my yard and mow. Believe me, I would welcome it. He would be fine doing that. But he is going to mow just what is his and nothing more. And so even though there is not a line that you can visibly see in the summer when the grass is growing, there is a definite property line. And so we take our six-pound Pomeranian dog out. We know when she's in our yard and when she has strayed into the other's vineyard, right? We know when she's gone into the yard because you can just tell. There are places in the world that's not evident. One of the things that we do when we take construction teams to Brazil is that we build walls around what we build. I mean, part of what Randy was a part of this past year, um, part of what uh, Jared was a part of this last year is building walls around where we were 
And part of the reason we do that is because in Brazil, if you don't have a wall around your property, you may wake up one morning and somebody has started building a house on your property. Then you go to them and say, that's my property. They say, well, this is my house. So they just take in your property, all right? So we build walls around it. In fact, uh, there's a boys' home there that we go to. We've gone the last couple of years to play soccer at the boys' home, and there's a huge wall. I mean, it's the long wall. I don't know how many feet it is, but it's big. And we were uh, at my previous church, we were part of building that. And we built it around the front, but we didn't build it along the back. And now they've had to work out an agreement because the people behind them started planting stuff in their yard. They don't have any sense of that. In God's economy, though, there is real sense of private property. Now, this is why that is important. Because God says in his word that whatever you have has been given to you by him, and it is your job to be a good steward or manager of what he's given you. Not everybody else, but you. And when you engage in stealing, what you're doing is not trusting what God has already given you. And you're taking away the blessing of what God wants to give to someone else. Every theft is a failure failure to trust in God's provision. And it goes to the bigger issue. Each one of these commandments has a negative, don't steal, and then it has a bigger. The bigger issue is what are you doing with what God has given you? And the Bible teaches over and over again that we must be good managers of God's money. That we must show good stewardship by working hard to get it. The Bible is very specific about that. Proverbs 6, 10 and 11 says that laziness leads to poverty. And he says, in turn, Proverbs 30, poverty turns into temptation to steal. The only way to avoid temptation is to work for honest gain. Ephesians 4 says to let no thief steal any longer. Instead, let him do honest work so that he can share with those in need. And then there's that little story of the wee little man and the wee little man was he, right? His name was, who's the, who's the wee little man in Bible? Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus climbed sycamore tree. Jesus comes by, goes to Jesus' house. He accepts Jesus that day. And then what happens? He comes back and he says... I will give back to all that I have cheated times four. Where do you think he got that number? From where we read in Exodus chapter 22. He realized he had taken from them, he had stolen from them, and he was making retribution. So the point there is that we need to work hard to give a good account for what God has given us. And here's another thing. We have got to learn to live generously with what God has given. To give back unto others, to give unto God's mission, to give unto God's glory, to give for God's sake, and not to spend it on other things. The last aspect of good stewardship is giving away to people that are in need. Jerry Bridges is a pastor, and he has said there are three kind of people in the world when it comes to stuff and money. He said the first kind says what's yours is mine and i'll take it those are the thieves the second is they say what's mine is mine and i'll keep it the third is what's mine is god's and i'll give it away generously 
The Bible makes it very clear that when we don't do our part to live generously, we are in effect robbing from God. In fact, one pastor has said that the way in which we rob the most or steal the most as believers is in the way that we steal from God. Now, I want to tell you that God takes that very, very seriously. In the Old Testament, there's the story of a man named Achan. You may remember that story, Achan. It's from the book of Joshua. Joshua has just uh, finished fighting the battle of Jericho. You know the battle of Jericho, right? They walk around the walls seven days, blow the trumpet. The walls came tumbling down, right? Walls come tumbling about. Before they get through there, God says to them, all of the stuff that you're going to take, the spoils of war, belong to me. Don't take them. Don't, don't, don't touch them. Don't take them. Just they're mine. So they get through with Jericho. They get on the other side of it. On the other side of Jericho, this massive victory they've just had is a small little place called Ai. Joshua, it doesn't give any instance that Joshua consults the Lord. He just gathers some guy up. They're like, man, we just whipped Jericho. This is going to be no problem at all. I mean, we just got through with the biggest victory of our lives. There is no way that this little podunk town is going to do anything to us. And so they take off to go in war to that town, and they get routed. I mean, just destroyed. They come running back. Joshua gets on his face before the Lord and says, Lord, I don't understand. And God stops him and says, get up. He said, get up now. He said, do you not realize that the reason you were defeated is because there are devoted things, sacred things that are in your camp? People are holding back what is mine. Well, who is it? God says, I'll show you who it is. So they get the whole group out there. And they start by tribes and then by clans and by families. And they get down to one last man whose name is Achan. Now, this is one of those things you don't want to be drafted into. All right? They pull Achan and his family up. They reveal that in his tent are devoted things. And then what do they do? Say, oh, Achan, you're all right. That's not a big deal. You just move on. Now, what do they do to Achan? He's killed. What they do to his family? Oh, well, it was Achan's fault. What they do to his family? Killed. All right, well, but that's Old Testament. I mean, okay, he sold some things. All right, let's go to the New Testament, okay? Anybody ever heard of Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira and Acts, book of Acts, the church is just getting started. And the cool thing in that church became, this. hey, listen, if this becomes cool in our church, I'm okay with it, all right? The cool thing in their church became selling everything they have and giving everything to the church for the glory of God's work and God's kingdom. That's what the cool thing in that church became. If you wanted to be in on the in crowd of that church, you sold what you had and you gave it to the church and said, use it for God's glory. Okay? So Ananias and Sapphira, they go out and sell a field. They bring it back, but they keep a little bit to themselves. Now, the problem wasn't that they kept a little bit to themselves. Okay? We'll talk about the real issue behind it next week. But I just want you to see how God thinks about people t- keeping things from him. So Ananias comes in and says, listen, brothers, it's been glorious. We had a great time. We went and sold our property. And we want to bring every bit of what we got from that property and lay it here on the altar of the church because we want the church to prosper like it's never prospered before. The apostle said, 
Did you bring it all? We brought it all. What happened? He's dead. And Ananias, they literally, it says, drag him out. He died on the spot. They drag him out. His wife comes in. Tell us about this. What, what is it? Oh, we brought everything. You brought everything. We brought everything dead. Now, I have yet to be a part of a church where someone died while putting their offering in the offering plate. All right? That hasn't happened to me. I haven't been there. But I think it does show how seriously God takes the issue of stealing from him. Now, there are lots of ways you can steal from God. You cannot give him the worship that he is due. You cannot give him the devotion that he requires. You cannot be obedient to him in the way that he asks. You can choose to spend your money on other things instead of putting him first in your life. You can. It tells us in Malachi, they say, well, how are we robbing you, God? And God just looks at him point blank and says, in the tithes and offerings, you're not bringing into the storehouse of God what is required. There are lots of ways to rob from God. But the point is that stealing is a serious offense. And the Ten Commandments just very succinctly and boldly says, no stealing. Now here's the good news from Scripture. Jesus Christ died by crucifixion. He died in the center with two people, one on each side, right? And it says in the way we say it is, He died between two thieves the way that it is. The thief on the cross. Well, here's the amazing thing about what Jesus did. Is he knew that you and I would be terrible at keeping these ten words. Along with any other provision God put out there. And scripture teaches us that there were not two thieves on the cross that day. There were three. Because scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ paid your debt and mine for the sins that we would commit as long as we would trust Him for forgiveness. And so as we understand, as these commandments grow and what it means to keep them and the importance of what they are, that it becomes more difficult for us to keep them. The point of the law was never for us to think, oh, I can do that. The point of the law was for us to be reminded that there is no way we can. And because of that, we must fall on the grace that is Jesus Christ.